0: Well, there was no announcement made about the uh, Father's Day dinner. So I guess, guys, we're on our own. But there is a special dinner for all the guys. If you want to take out your wives and families, they'd be happy to go with you. Well, today we begin a journey. And this journey is in the book of Ephesians, and I am absolutely thrilled that we are going through this book together. I believe that God is at work in the lives of believers here at Calvary Bible Chapel. I believe that as we look back at the last 12 months, we have seen people that have come to know the, who have come to know the Lord. We see believers who are growing, who are excited about the Word of God. We see, we've seen some who have been baptized. We've seen growth. We've seen positive changes in the lives of those who have submitted themselves to godly counsel and to the word of God. You know, it's an amazing thing. If you look back at 12 months, sins have been forgiven. That's wonderful. Um, Some have been challenged to growth and have responded to it. Some positively. Yeah, some negatively. The Lord has done some pruning, too. But even the pruning in our midst is an indication of God's love for us. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens. That's what it says in the Scripture. I believe God has something very special in store for this church. And I believe that the Lord has something very special in store for you as an individual in this assembly. And that's why I'm really excited about the study of the book of Ephesians. It is a great book. In uh, This sixth chapter letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus, it really packs a punch. It begins with a look way, way back before the beginning of creation. And uh, it looks forward to the day when all believers will stand in the presence of God, holy and without blame. I like the line of a hymn. It's the last line of this verse. It says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, I love that word, faultless to stand before the throne. And that is what the book of Ephesians talks about. Us standing before him, faultless. At the very core of this book is a mystery. There is a mystery in this book, And it's not like a whodunit mystery where you have to try to figure out every twist and turn and plot of the story before you figure out it really was the butler who killed somebody. Rather, it is something when when the Bible talks about a mystery, it talks it it really is referring to something that you do not know and you cannot know apart from divine revelation. It's a secret that God holds. And he holds it very near and very dear to his heart. And for a length of time, uh, or for a length of history, he doesn't tell anybody. Nobody knows. Not the angels in heaven, not any human being on earth. It's a mystery. It's hidden. It's something that God has hidden. But a mystery in the Bible is something that God has revealed. And so at a certain point in time, God says, okay, now it is the time for me to reveal one of the secrets of my heart. Something that I've known all along, something that I've been planning in this case before creation itself, and I'm going to tell you about it. And it's a it's a mystery that has now been revealed. And the mystery, of course, in Ephesians is the church. And it has to do with the fact that God knew you before you were saved. It has to do with the fact that God knew you before you were born. It has to do with the fact that before he created the earth and the heavens, he chose you to be part of his church. That was in his plan before this world ever began. Most of you have studied through the, uh, the book, The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus, and in that book, you go all the way back to the very beginning of creation, and that's the starting point of the book. God... Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the starting point of the stranger on the road to Emmaus. It's a great study. If you haven't already done it, I encourage you to do so. And it goes all the way back to creation to show you who you are. A sinner who came from Adam. Lost, without hope, without God in this world. That's where it takes you. Back to the beginning. And in the study, you see that God requires... Um, atonement for sin, and that atonement must be blood from a perfect sacrifice. And as we study through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that the only one who qualifies to be your substitute, your sacrifice, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He alone paid for your sins in full so that you could be saved. That's the stranger on the road to Emmaus. But the study in the book of Ephesians goes back not to the beginning of creation. It goes back before creation ever began. In the mind of God, what he was thinking, what he was planning, what he was holding dear to his heart, something about you, something about me. It really, as we study the book of Ephesians, uh, you'll go back to see that you were on God's heart even before he called creation into existence. And so you are the object of God's love. God set his affection on you, his love upon you, and he created the heavens and the earth for you. Do you believe that? You were the object of his love. It says in the scripture in Ephesians that you are chosen by God. And you were the ones upon whom God wanted to lavish his grace. And it was because of you that God chose to create the heavens and the earth and the seas and all that it contains. And it was because of you that God chose to allow sin to enter into the world so that He could demonstrate not only that He loves you, but that He loves you, as we say, this much. Hands and feet on a cross, nailed there for you. Not only does he allow sin to to enter, to demonstrate his love, but he loves you with exceeding great love towards you. It was because of you that he did not withhold his only son to die on the cross for your sins. It was because of you that he died on a rough-hewn cross of the Romans to take in his own body the blows of God that you deserved. God's wrath against sin, your sin and mine. And God has withheld nothing from you. It was because of you. God did this. Then, as we look at your life, I said this, um, I've said this often to people. If you I, I like to go back and when I'm talking to somebody about the Lord and their um, relationship with him i like to go back and do a history you know any good doctor if you go into their office is going to take out a pad of paper and go okay now when were you born and have you ever had any of these ailments before and so on well in spiritual things it's the same you go back to the beginning when were you born and what can you take a look at your timeline your historical timeline? And are there places in your historical timeline where you can clearly see that God has intersected uh, points in your life? All of you can say yes. I know you can. Because God is in the business of saving souls and He doesn't leave things to chance. He doesn't leave things to just happen. He is actively pursuing every single person on the face of the earth. And God intersects everybody's life at some point or other so that they might be drawn to Him. He gave you breath. He gave you life. He fed you. He clothed you. And He brought you through life to this point. And at every turn, He protected you and He cared for you. And He gave you glimpses of His love and His mercy and His kindness towards you and His grace. And it was because of you that He continually chased you down through life. And you see those intersections in your life and you go, yeah, I see God was speaking to me here and here and here and here and here and here and here. And And if we just had eyes to see, we would see that He was there all the time. Continually chasing us down through life, even when we would have none of His love. But He continued to love you and to seek you. And one day, you were found by Him. Oh, what a glorious day that was, huh? And it was on that day that the scales of your eyes uh, fell. And for the first time you saw that it was for you that Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood for you. And it was by God's grace you were saved. Let me tell you, believers, you are loved. <laughs> you are loved. But the story doesn't end at salvation. Really, it only begins. And, uh, but so many Christians, they stop right there. They get to the point where they see that God loved them. They see that Jesus died on the cross for them. They see that their sins can be forgiven. And they say, Lord, I take you as my Lord and Savior. And that's it. They just stop. And they sit and they go, I have my ticket to heaven. I'm just fine. I'm okay. But that's where salvation just begins. God doesn't stop there. It is entirely within God's purposes that Christ may dwell in your heart this is from Ephesians 3:17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and and height to know the love of God which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God I'll tell you, the book of Ephesians is a rich book. It is loaded with benefits to us as believers. It is a book of abundance with choice words. And I'm going to just put them up on the screen here. Riches, five times. Grace, 12 times. Inheritance, four times. Fill or fullness, seven times. In this book, we learn about the unsearchable riches of His grace, chapter 3, verse 8. The exceeding riches of His grace, chapter 2, verse 7. The riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, chapter 1, verse 18. And the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, 119. And we learn that He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we can ask or think. Do you see the way those, those verses are loaded? It's going to break the camel's back. The Bible uh, says all of this and more in Ephesians. Before the creation of the world, we think of creation as a great accomplishment on the part of God, and it is. It is a wonderful accomplishment. Accomplishment on his part, but before the creation of the world, God devised a plan for you that is absolutely mind-blowing, and it involves you as an heir of God. Think about that for a second. Just we say these phrases and we go, "Heir yeah, of God," an heir of God. Think about that and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Now, some of you would be satisfied to be an heir of your father or your mother. That would be satisfying enough. This is being an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And all that is Christ's is yours in full measure. Nothing held back. We are blessed, the Bible says, verse, uh, uh, the Ephesians 1 3 says, as we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. And yet, so many Christians live their life as if they have nothing. They live as paupers. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I'm a Christian. <sighs> really? Somehow you feel like God is withholding something from you brothers and sisters he's not withholding anything from you every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in christ jesus what happened along the way in your christian life that you begun that you began to think of god as someone who burdens you beyond measure is god like that but some of us live that way as if god has somehow burdened us beyond measure God is the one who blesses, not burdens. He blesses you beyond measure. At times I look at Christians and they live as if they are homeless beggars on the streets running from God who only wants to bless them. I think of that because of uh, Tomas Tomas Martinez. I don't know if you heard about Tomas Martinez, but in 2000, the year 2000, he was living on the streets of Santa Cruz de la Sierra in Bolivia. He was a homeless man. He had lived on the streets for quite some time. And the police, it turned out, had been searching for him because they had some very good news for him. He had just inherited a $6 million fortune. And they were out looking the streets, searching the streets for him uh, because he had just inherited this $6 million His uh, wife had passed away. They were separated or divorced, and she had left her entire estate to him, $6 million. And he got wind of the fact that the police were looking for him. And so he disappeared without a trace, never to be found. And to this day, as far as I know, Tomas Martinez is still a missing person. The Bolivian newspaper said of him, as a new millionaire, paradoxically, not knowing his fortune. Sadly, many Christians act like Tomas Martinez. And God is coming after them, and they think of him as a policeman, uh, about to arrest him and put him in jail or something like that. And God only wants to bless. He's got blessings beyond what we can imagine, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and we run from him, and he only wants to bless us not knowing our fortune. And so we live and we hide and we live defeated, miserable lives. I think miserable is a word that comes from the word miser, doesn't it? It should, or it does, I think. The LA Times reported some years ago of a couple that lived in an apartment and uh, they died and when the... um, when their bodies were taken and they were inspected, they found that they died of malnutrition. They just died of hunger. And as they began to remove their items from the apartment to clean it up for the next people, it was discovered that in their closet, in paper bags, was a treasure of $40,000 in cash. $40,000! And they died of starvation. And uh, they had all the resources they needed. They had everything they needed to live and to eat. And they, they starved to death, death as though they had nothing. As a Christian, I want to just tell you this. You are not a homeless beggar. You have all of the resources of God available to you. Don't live like a malnourished Christian, but enjoy the rich benefits that God has provided for you. I want you to understand the incredible riches Uh, And again, go back to the words that are in the book of Ephesians. Riches, abundance, fullness, power, glory, and grace that the Lord has lavished upon you so that you might live in such a way that you are filled with the Spirit of God and you are building up the whole body of Christ and uh, fulfilling your God-given calling on earth and doing the things that are to the praise of His glory. That's what the book of Ephesians is all about. The blessings that He has lavished upon us are not based on anything we have done. Salvation is nothing to do with us. Salvation has nothing to do with our good works or the things that we do. It is only what Christ has done for us. Well, living the Christian life is the same way. And He has lavished upon us so much. Um, Our riches, our inheritance are based on His will. Chapter 1, verse 5. His grace Verses 6 and 7. His glory, 12 and 14. His power, verse 19. His love, chapter 2, verse 4. His good pleasure, verse, chapter 1, verse 9. His purpose, 111. His calling, 118. His inheritance, 118. It's like a cash register just going, ka-ching, 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 you know? His workmanship, 210. And it's all because of Him. It's because we are in Christ that all of these be- things become ours. That's why I'm thrilled that we're studying the book of Ephesians. And I hope that you will enjoy it as we study together uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So let's take a look at an overview of the book first. So, six chapters, real easy break. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 is the first section. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 the second section. So it's split right down the middle. Real easy to, uh, to work on this book. The first three chapters are doctrinal. The last three chapters are practical. And so chapters one through three tell us about the calling of the church. Chapter four through six tell us about the conduct. So you have the calling, then you have the conduct of the church. The first half is about our standing in Christ. We talk about this as positional truth. In other words, God has saved us, He has blessed us, He has made us holy. And in God's mind, we are perfect, we are holy, we are just, we are righteous. All of those good things, that's who we are in Christ. That's our calling, that's our standing before God. Now you say, but that's not who I am, I know myself. I'm not like that. And so this is where we're at down here. We come to know the Lord and our state... Our standing is up here, but our condition right now is down here. And so the book of Ephesians is to to start off by saying, look, this is who you are in Christ. This is who you are in the kitchen. Now, make your kitchen walk more like your your relationship with Christ. And that's the whole idea of the book of Ephesians. You start with doctrine. You start with the truth of who you are in Christ. And you say, wow, is that me? Yeah, it's you. God is taking his great big mirror and he's shining it on you and saying, this is who you are in Christ. Now live like it. Now live like it. The First half tells us what God has done for us. The last half tells us how we can live for him. And so if you look at the first half of Ephesians, it's as if God has handed you his checkbook wow, that's pretty cool because it talks about God owning everything. And he's turned over his checkbook to you. And you look at the resources in his checkbook and it absolutely blows you away. And he tells you this. Here's my checkbook. It's all yours. All of it. It's yours. He's given it all to Christ. And you are in Christ. So it's all yours. And he's not holding anything back. And what you are looking at in chapters 1 through 3 are the full resources of God and they are all yours. What's available? Everything you need. Everything you need is available to you. Some believers live in poverty like those people who had the $40,000 in the closet. And some Christians live in poverty like that and say, Lord, I need peace. Well, look in the checkbook. Look in it. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Do I give it to you? Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a present possession. Some believers continue to live in poverty and pray, Lord... I need joy look in the checkbook for it says this John 15 11 these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full there's that word again full the fullness John 16 24 until now you have asked nothing in my name ask and you will receive that your joy may be oh good we're catching on good Full. That's exactly right. All right. Um, again, some believers, they cry out, Lord, I just need to feel your love. Look in the checkbook again. And it says this in Romans eight thirty five through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine our Lord. There is no limit to his resources. And the interesting thing is, I know that when I write a check out, I deplete resources in my bank account. It just works that way. Every time I write a check out, that check goes out and the money goes down in my checking account. Does that happen to you too? You're depleting. Every time you're writing something out, you're depleting, depleting, depleting. Now, every once in a while you can fill it up again, you know, maybe after you get your paycheck and the government's taking out their portion of it, you know, and you put some more back in, but every time you write another check, you deplete your account. It is not that way with God's account. He's given you his resources, he's given you his checkbook, he says, okay, write out whatever you want, and I will honor every single request. Everything. Everything. There, and it never depletes his resources. It's not like his balance comes close to being empty. It never happens. It is full, complete, all the time. No limit to his resources. Now, as we study through this book, we're going to move through at a pretty slow pace. Not too slow, not too fast, just right. So I am going to, because of the pace that we're going to go through the book, I am going to challenge you to memorize the entire book of Ephesians. (gasps) I can't do that. Yeah, you can. Um, so let me say it this way instead. I'm going to challenge me to memorize the book of Ephesians. And I'd ask you to join me as we memorize the book of Ephesians together. Okay. Now, if you, take, if you do it this way, it's easier. Okay? If you look at it and go, six chapters, are you kidding me? It'll never happen. Okay? But if instead you go, two verses in a week, that's not bad. I could do that. So we're taking two verses today, and you have all week to put it to memory. And I'm going to give you a clue as you look at at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. You'll see things in pairs. And I think that's because the book of Ephesians is a book of abundance. And and God just wants to lavish uh, things upon us. And, And there's pairs all the way through here. It's really interesting. And if you keep that in mind, you go, oh, that makes it easier to memorize. And so let's try it. Let's take a look at the first two verses uh, this week. And so by the time we finish the book of Ephesians, you should have it all memorized, all to heart. And you go, wow, I have all these resources stored away in my heart and my head. Now I can live the Christian life as God intended me to do so. With joy, with peace, with love, all of these things. Okay. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, now that is the only part here that is singular, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So take a look. I'll show you where the the pairs are here. Paul, singular. An apostle of Jesus Christ that's the first part by the will of God. You have both Jesus Christ and God the Father listed here. Then he talks to, to whom is the book written? To the saints who are in Ephesus, and the second part, faithful in Christ Jesus. Now we'll dig into what all that means in a minute. But there's the pair again. Okay, then the greeting. Again, it's a pair: grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's another pair. Okay, so if you just look at it that way, you go, well, that makes it really easy to memorize. And so by next Sunday, I could call on any of you and say, come on up here and say the verses for us. No, I better not threaten you with that, because then you might not show up. Okay, Paul, who is he? Well, most of you know Paul to some degree or other. He was born a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, and I'm sure his parents were just like parents today, you know, oh, I'm going to have a baby. Let's go get the baby book from the library. And so they went down to the public library and wherever they lived and they started looking at names. What do you think of Zechariah? No. How about Zacchaeus? No. You know, and they started going through all this you know, and they started looking at all these names and they said, hey, we're from the tribe of Benjamin. Who is the most prominent person in all the tribe of Benjamin in all history? The first king of Israel. His name was? Saul. Very good. Okay. Let's name him Saul. What a kingly name that is. And so Saul it was. And uh, when the baby was born, thankfully it was a boy. And uh, he was named Saul. He grew up, went to school. He was trained in the elite school of Gamaliel. I'm not sure who chose that name. He was well taught in Jewish law and he became a member of the Sanhedrin. And whatever he did, you see this in his life, he threw himself into it heart and soul. Philippians chapter 3 verse 5 and 6 says this, he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church concerning the righteousness which is in the law blameless. And so It says here that he was persecuting the church. As a Pharisee, as a Jew, he saw the church, the early church, as a threat. And he was going to do everything in his power to squash it. And uh, he went out trying to put an end to this Uh, new group of people. And Saul went out, he received the necessary paperwork from the high priest so that he could arrest and imprison Christians. He was determined to put out this flame called the church. And he was on a war path to destroy the infant church. And on this trip to Damascus, the Lord stopped him in his tracks. You remember the story well. There was a bright light that shone upon him and, and a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me? I'm persecuting the Christians. And he says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said from heaven, I am Jesus. And right there and then, Paul stopped in his tracks. The Lord saved his soul, and he was a changed man forever. The Lord converted him, and converted his name too, by the way. No longer was he called Saul, but he was called Paul. God didn't want the association with that king from the past, but Paul, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. After many years, the Lord sent out Paul and Barnabas to take the gospel to um, the Gentiles and thus begin the greatest missionary outreach that ultimately reached you and me. The reason you have the gospel today is because of the work that Paul and Barnabas and others did in the early church. Years after he planted the church in Ephesus, Paul wrote this letter to the believers who knew him and loved him. Paul, he writes, well they knew who he was, Paul, but he adds this, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, I said it's double, it's a double thing there, right? Apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, the Father. It's actually a triplet here, and I'll show you in a minute. An apostle was one who spoke for God. There are only, were only, 14 apostles ever. That's it, 14. And they were, the first uh, 12 were the disciples, and Judas apostatized, and they uh, elected Matthias in his place, and then along came Paul. ...that the Lord made to be one of his apostles. An apostle is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so really you have, by the will of God the Father... um, ...an apostle of Jesus Christ... ...gifted by the Holy Spirit of God. And it was a temporary gift. Oh, you say it was a temporary. Yes. There are certain gifts of the Spirit that were temporary. They were for a time, they were for a season, they were for a purpose... And in this particular case, these are foundational gifts that ended when the last apostle died. But the entire church is built on the foundation that they laid, um, uh, the, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ, of course, being the chief cornerstone. God spoke through the apostles, and they laid the foundation that we now have written in the New Testament. It's very interesting, too. They did not receive... A BA, an MD, a PhD, a DD, an A to Z, a 123, or any other thing after their name. They were apostles of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Well, that trumps everything. <laughs> That's what you want after your name. An apostle of Jesus Christ, the initials, by the will of God. That's it, trumps everything. If it was God's will to make him an apostle, an apostle he would be. Nothing would stand in the way of that. And likewise, God has supernaturally given every single believer a spiritual gift. All of you who are believers have at least one spiritual gift. And it is, I don't know, I know it's not the gift of an apostle, but he has given you a spiritual gift. And it was given to you by the will of God. And you should be using it for his glory, fully maturing in that gift and using it for the building up of the believers. That is the purpose of the gifts. It was God has given us the gifts for his church that we might build one another up to build up the whole body. Uh, And that is your calling. Did you catch that? That's your calling in life. Whatever the spiritual gift that God has given you, that is your calling. What you do for a living is only to put food on the table. It's only to put clothes on your back. But that is not your calling. Your calling is to exercise the spiritual gift that God has given you. He has given you a spiritual gift by the will of God. That's what you're called to do. If you're an evangelist, you are an evangelist by the will of God, then do the work of an evangelist. That is your calling. You are a teacher by the will of God, then preach the oracles of God. That is your calling. You are a giver by the will of God, then give bountifully and give cheerfully. That is your calling. You are a helper. Then labor uh, in love and minister to the saints. That is your calling. Whatever gift God has given you, it is by the will of God. Do it because that is your calling. Okay. Don't be sucked into the world and the things of the world and say, oh, my calling is to... Shuffle paper on a desk. That is not your calling. Now, God has given you jobs. Praise Him for that. But don't misunderstand your calling. Don't neglect your calling. Don't miss what God has called you to do. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit that you might build one another up and to build this body of believers. That is your calling. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? By the way, that is a qualification for an apostle. He had seen the risen Lord. And are you not my work in the Lord? He's saying, look, you are proof that I have exercised my spiritual gift. I have demonstrated that this is my calling. If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Your salvation proves that God took a murdering, persecuting uh, person, uh, a persecutor of the church and transformed him into an apostle. Paul's apostleship came from the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God. God the Father, God the Son are united in their agreement and it is a gift of the Spirit as I say. So the entire Trinity was involved in Paul's calling and his apostleship. What was the responsibility of apostles? Well, they were to preach the gospel. That's what Paul did. They were to teach and to pray. And that's what Paul did. They were to demonstrate their calling through miracles. They were sign gifts demonstrating that God had entrusted his uh, word to them, and uh, teaching to them, and so on. And it was to be demonstrated... Uh, they were to demonstrate their calling through miracles they were to appoint leaders or elders in the churches and they were to write the word of god that was his calling now paul had a job he made tents for a living he made tents to feed himself and those who traveled with him he made tents to make sure that he had clothes on his back but very little is said in the new testament about his tent making the quality of his tents, the size of his tents, the marketing of his tents, anything about his tents, apart from the fact that he was a tent maker. He did not mistake his calling. He did not say, I'm a tent maker, and on the side I preach, you His calling was an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, I'll make tents just to make sure we have enough food on the table, that was it. So Paul is writing, to the, um, writing the epistle as an apostle with the full authority of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he writes to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Saints? Who are saints? Say, so Are those those little plastic statues that you put on the front of your dashboard in the car so you don't have an accident? Are those those little pieces of things that you put on an elevator so that you make sure you get to the top floor? Is that what we are? No, we're not plaster models of something. We are not uh, waiting until we die and the church figures out whether we were good enough to be, be canonized as saints. Paul is writing to a group of believers who have just trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord, and he calls them saints. That's what you are. You're saints. A saint is not a special group of people in the church that are more holy than others or recognized than other believers. When we say saint, we don't mean a special category or a canonized person after their death. All believers, all Christians are saints. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. Really? You say, I don't feel very saintly. Well, let's talk about that. The Greek word for saint here appears 229 times in the New Testament. It's a very good word. Most of the time, 161 of those times, it's translated holy, holy. 61 times saints, four times it refers to God, and three other miscellaneous words. So the emphasis of the word is, guess what? Holy, holy. And by divine inspiration, Paul is calling us holy saints. And so we are. This word, and there are two words here. One is saints. And uh, the other one is, oops, let me go back here, faithful. The first word is from God's vantage point. From God's perspective, as he looks upon you, he sees you in his son and he says, you're holy. You are holy. That means perfectly righteous, perfectly just, declared righteous. And there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because the Bible says those he called, the, these he also justified. Believer, the, mo- the moment you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, he made you holy. He made you a saint. Paul the, then says faithful in Christ Jesus. The word faithful um, is not really referring to our faithfulness in the sense of being trustworthy. That's not what the word means here. It means full of faith. Full of faith. Faithful in Christ Jesus. The word could be translated believing ones. So he's rather emphasizing that we trust the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really great. So we have the divine side of, of this where God is looking at us and he's saying, you're holy. And we have the human side of this and it says we are faithful. That is, we are full of faith in Jesus Christ we have trusted completely in him for our salvation and to live the Christian life full of faith in him then he says in verse 2 grace to you and peace from God our father and the Lord Jesus Christ verse 2 is a double blessing to us from God the first word is grace we know that we are saved by grace and and when we use the term that way we mean that it is God's undeserved favor to us We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve salvation. We didn't earn salvation. We cannot buy salvation. Salvation is a free gift to us. And God gives us salvation without cost, without merit. It is God's grace to us. But he's not talking about salvation here. This is a greeting. And uh, he is wishing God's grace upon us. In this instance, grace has more to do with God's help in every area of life. Do you remember Paul wrote... And he said that he had a thorn in the flesh. He had some kind of physical ailment. And it says that he prayed to the Lord three times that the Lord would take away this physical ailment. And the Lord said, no, I'm not going to take it away. But instead, my grace is sufficient for you. And what he's saying there is that God's help in his disability is more than enough. It's more than adequate. And so that's the kind of grace he's talking about here. It's help, comfort, strength in the midst of trial. It's a wonderful, wonderful word. And he says, "God's." Um, Paul asked God to give the church grace. May God give you grace, or help, or comfort, strength to face trials, difficulties in life's challenges. Uh, may God give you grace to deal with a, a boss at work. May God give you grace in the health issues that you're facing. May God give you grace in the trials that you face and the sorrows that you face in life. May God give you His grace through all of these things and that you might know the width and the length and the depth and the height of God's grace uh, in your life. Someone says that sunshine all the time only creates a desert, but God's grace in the midst of our difficulties provides us with an oasis in life. So grace, then peace. Wow. (laughs) Who doesn't need peace? You know, this world is in such turmoil. Man. One of the things I constantly keep in my mind as an elder is that it is my duty as an elder to shield you from as much trouble as possible. And uh, we try to do that. We see trouble on the horizon. We see trouble in people's lives. We see trouble brewing. We see people coming in who are trouble. And we try as much as we can to shield you from as much turmoil that comes our way. It is my God-given duty to do everything I can to bring you as God's sheep to a place where you can lie down in green pastures and by still waters. That's a beautiful picture from Psalm 23. But that is the duty of an elder, to make sure there is peace and calm and rest as much as possible um, in your life that's what God wants for all of us and that's really the greeting that he's have, he says here grace to you and peace try it sometime as you greet the saints and you come in and you go grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ what? it's a better greeting than how are you how you doing how you doing what okay. grace to you And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that little word in there. It says, from God our Father. Where does this grace and peace come from? It comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God. When we use that term, uh, He seems so far away, so distant, So infinitely high. But Paul writes, Father. And what an appropriate term for today, Father's Day. When we call God Father, it's a term that seems so close, so near, so intimately near to our hearts. Abba, Father, Daddy. How dare we call God Daddy? Because He tells us to. Come, Abba, Daddy, Father. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation have come to know God, not just as God way up there, but as God our Father. Jesus said to a group of fathers in Matthew 7, verse 11, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Well, He does give good gifts to those who ask Him, And what we find in the book of Ephesians is that He, our Father, has already given us everything necessary, everything possibly that we could need, in fact, beyond all that we can ask or think, because we are in Christ. Okay, so we've gone through two verses. Not so hard. Let's see how we do. First word, don't look. Paul. Then two phrases. An apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm missing it. Oh, and by the will of God. Okay, so an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus. And By the way, let me just say this too. I didn't say this in my message, but let me just say this. The, the in Ephesus part is actually not found in most manuscripts. And uh, some people believe it was just a blank line and that wherever that letter went, they'd fill in the local uh, church name of that letter. Maybe so, it may not be, I don't know. But it's kind of cool if it is. So we could actually say to the saints in Fremont, Calvary Bible Chapel, okay, fill it in. He's talking to you, okay? Now when you memorize it when you say it, I'm going to expect Ephesus. But know in your hearts we're talking about Fremont, Okay. In Ephesus, okay? What else? And the faithful in Christ Jesus. Good. Yeah, good. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You got it. You got it. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful book that just tells us of the riches that you have provided for us. Lord, it is just dripping with abundance, and we thank you so much, Lord, for what you did in saving us, and we just pray that as we study this book together, that, Lord, you might fill our hearts with joy, give us peace, and we pray, Lord, that we might exercise the spiritual gifts that you have given to us as our calling and that, Lord, you might be glorified in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.